together and dance All right, as we continue our study on the theme of home improvement, today we're going to be looking at everybody's favorite topic. We're going to be looking at parenting. And there's a couple things I need to, to disclaimers perhaps, things I need to, a, a foundation I need to set before we really get into this. One of the things to keep in mind, and this is a very important thing to never lose sight of, is that we live in a crazy world. This world in which we live is, for the most part, it's evil. Evil comes in different packages. Some days it looks threatening, other days it looks pleasing. But it's still evil. If it's not God, it is contrary to God. It's the antithesis of God. And so this world in which we live is crazy. Their their agenda is different than ours. Their, the way they think, the way they process, their, their, their whole outlook is different from ours. We as a church have to understand that we are in the world, as First John says, but we're not of the world. And so in other words, we have to live a life that is contrary to the rest of the world. Not that we're trying to be contrary, we're trying to be God-focused. But we understand that when we do things in a way that honors God, that the rest of the world is going to look at us like a bunch of nuts. And that's okay. I don't mind being nutty if it comes to being godly in a given situation. But there also the other problem is, is that sometimes we like what the world has to teach and what the world has to offer. And so we kind of dance with the devil. One day we're over here, one day we're over here. And so we we flip and flop and trying to figure out what do we really want. But just keep in mind that it's a crazy world. It's, it's, a, it's a nutty world and that we're never going to fully embrace what they have to teach. And another thing is, is that if you have some thoughts and beliefs that are relevant, I mean, I will say parallel to the world, you might need to rethink and reshape your politics or your, your social life or your, 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 your agenda or your parenting because you don't want to do things in a world that dishonors God. This is crazy stuff. Apart from that, remember that what I said last week when we were talking about marriage. Remember that God created this world, everything in this world, with order. He is all about order. He created all of this order out of chaos. He did it to be contrary to what already existed. So there is chaos still in this world. We need to shun chaos and establish order in our own lives. That's very hard because we're fleshy people. But order is what we're supposed to be about. The church is supposed to function in order. Uh, the house, the, the, your, your family is supposed to have order. And that's why God established that the father is first, that he's the head of the body. He's the head of the family. And that order has been established for a reason. Now, he would have said, mothers, you're the head of the household. Then we would have accepted that because that's what Bible teaches. You know, if that's what Bible teaches, we're going to accept it. We'll believe it. In the absence of a father, you're darn right. The mother is going to be the head of the household. But that's just all about order. It doesn't mean that one's better than other. It's just the way God had to pick something. He had to pick some format. And naturally, there has to be order when you trickle down into the children. And you may have seen this. If you haven't, go to Walmart. You'll see it. 
where the children are the head of the household. You know, the joke among us is every time we go to Walmart, we hear screaming children. And it's not always in the candy aisle. It says the kids just get there and like, I'm going to start screaming because I know I'm not going to get what I want until I scream because they are the head of the household. Interesting world we live in. With that said, and we'll probably clarify some more things, some more ground rules as we go through this, but the two passages that I just read a little bit ago, I want to highlight a couple things. The first one in Ephesians, start by, by focusing on children because there is a responsibility of children within the family. And that, that, uh, that responsibility is to obey your parents in the Lord. So you're doing it with the Lord's strength. You're doing it in relation to the Lord because this is what he has established and ordained as orderly. And we're doing that because, as it says, this is the right thing to do. When Jordan was in grade school, she went to Peoria Christian, and they had a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet. And every day I would say at least once, Jordan, what is your C verse? And she would put her head down and she would say, children, obey the Lord for it is right uh, and right unto the Lord, whatever it is. And I said, okay, just wanted to make sure. Of course, she always knew what that meant. Of course, she was like first grade, second grade at the time. But she was way ahead of the curve. Um, And then he goes on to say this, honor your father and your mother. This is another responsibility. Obey your parents and then honor them. Now, this is really interesting stuff, which I didn't really know. I kind of was suspect to it. But in rabbinical teaching, they make it very clear that the verse does not say, love your father and mother. That's very interesting. Uh, In the great commandment, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love everybody above yourself. But even then, it does not say, love your father and mother. That is not a commandment of God to love them. Because it's like God understands that there's going to be times and circumstances where it's going to be very difficult to love those who are over you. But we are commanded to honor them. That was the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and mother, for it will go well to you in the land in which you're living. There's so much wrapped up into that. And if you go into the, the, the... Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you read about the contents of that and the, the, what's being connoted in that, you will find that there is huge discipline that is waiting children who are disrespectful and dishonor their parents. I, I went into the Hebrew and I looked that word up and it is the Hebrew word kabed, which means heavy. Uh, it, it really means in a word picture that you need to give your parents the full weight of what they deserve. That's that word, kabed, the full weight, the heaviness. In other words, you give them what they deserve because of who they are and for no other reason. You respect them and you honor them. You give them the full weight of who they are and what they deserve because of the role that they play in your life. The second thing to note is it is, it is uh, we already talked about that. Uh, the other thing is, remember, is that honor is an attitude. It is a, it's a disposition. It's a, it's a mindset that you have established in your heart, in your mind. Above all else, I will honor my parents. I will honor them regardless if I disagree with them, regardless of how harshly they discipline me, regardless of how much they 
they love me or don't love me, I am going to respect them anyway because this is what God has established as a right principle. Again, not easy. But then it goes on and it focuses upon the father. And there's a couple things I want to say here. And one of these might be offensive to you, but I didn't write the book. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. All right? Now, understand that it begins with fathers. It doesn't say fathers and mothers. It doesn't say co-parenters. It doesn't say mothers over fathers. It just says fathers, do not exasperate your children. As you will find, if you study all these verses like I did in the last couple weeks, It's the father's responsibility to raise the children in the church and to train them and instruct them in the way they should go. It is the father's job to make sure your kids are raised in church, not mother's job, unless father is absent or if he is not fulfilling his responsibility. This is dad's job. And that's hard. That's very hard because a lot of us look backwards instead of forwards. And we look backwards and we say, then I have failed. I am miserable. I have done nothing right. Well, it's not too late to start. But he says, and hopefully this will give you some peace about this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, I looked up the word exasperate, of course, because that's what I do. Peror gizete is the Greek word, which means to make angry or to anger somebody, to bring one along to a deep-seated anger. So this is a process. It's not that you did something to hurt their feelings or you did something they objected with. This is a long-term established practice of leading them to a place of perpetual anger. Don't exasperate your children, it says. Don't do this. But this is problematic for us who are dads. Because how many times do your kids get angry with you? And they throw a fit, throw a tantrum, call you names, throw stuff at you, disrespect you, all this kind of stuff. Surely there's a time when it's appropriate, right? Because sometimes you just need to anger your child a little bit. Sometimes you might need to use a belt. We'll talk about that in a minute too. Sometimes you just need to sit them in a corner. Sometimes you just need to tell them, shut your mouth. I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Sometimes you got to do that. But we have to understand, we're not always going to please our children all the time. And if you do please your children all the time, you're probably doing it wrong. This is, again, where you need to disconnect yourself from what the world teaches. They will say, oh, don't you do that. Don't you make them do that. Don't make them do what they don't want to do. But of course you're going to make them do what what they don't want to do. So how do we know when it's appropriate and when it isn't appropriate to anger our children? He gives us a clue in the rest of this passage in verse 4. Instead of exasperating them, it says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You see, the, implicitly what it's suggesting is, is that where there is no training and where there is no instruction, that alone is what exasperates them to the point of anger. That's where we're not supposed to anger them. It's in the training and the instruction that we are going to provide to them that's going to curb that desire for anger and to teach them those skills they need. You know, like I told you before, I did, uh, I did uh, 
addiction counseling for adults. I did it for teenagers. Um, Amazing how many of these kids had no instruction, no training, no regard for their parents, no regard for life at all. They just want to do what they want to do. And they would tell me over and over, don't make me do something I don't want to do. Well, I'm sorry, that's just life. But that's the kids that we have these days. That's the way the culture has developed them. If we look at the Psalm 78 passage a little bit more in detail, we'll see a couple other things I want to highlight. It says, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things that we have heard and things that we have known. These are the things our fathers have taught us. So understand that the purpose, and I'll get into some of these passages in a minute. The the, the reason God established this particular system in the family is for a particular purpose. The reason he puts dad in charge, he puts the mother uh, as the neck that supports the father, the reason that he has ordained this pattern is because of the result that he wants. He wants us to raise the kids in in the church in the way that honors and glorifies him. It's not to honor and glorify myself. We are called to be stewards, caretakers of those children. I think the best way to look at that and the way that he impressed upon me years ago Whenever a child is born into your family, they, he doesn't do this just randomly. That you know, Psalm 139, I knit you together in the womb. I have a purpose for you. I put a, a, a purpose upon your life. I put you together exactly the way I wanted you, and then I birthed you into that, that environment. I believe that God wants us to be very clear with the fact that of all the millions of parents in this world, he handpicked you to be the parent of that particular child. That particular child, he handpicked you and matched you up with that. This is well better than match.com. I mean, this is child.com where he says, all right, this child, rambunctious, uh, talks back, um, lazy, I'm going to give them to Scott Green <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. But he handpicks you to be the parent of that child. But it's never your child to say, this is mine. This is all mine. I'm going to raise the child in a way that honors me and that makes me happy. We're to be stewards. We're caretakers. Those children belong to God. It is our job to explain that to them, to teach them and instruct them in that way. If we don't, that could lead to a long life of exasperation. That's what the Bible says. If we, if we train them and lead them right, they may have peace in their life. We may not be the best parent. We may not be the most respected or the most loved, but at least God will be pleased with what we've done. So he says, that which we've heard and which we've known about God is implicit. That which we've heard and have experienced with God, that is what we tell our children. You don't have to be great theologians. You know, what's interesting is I have never in my life had a two-year-old come up to me and say, Preacher, I don't agree with polytheism. I don't agree with monotheism. Why would they not argue with that, right? I've never had a two-year-old say, Calvinism, really? Arminianism? Are those my only options? No, no, they don't know anything. We're supposed to develop them and teach them and train them into what they're supposed to think. 
And we take the Bible and we use that as a guide. They need to be molded and shaped. They don't mold and shape themselves. And he goes on to say, because this is what our fathers have told us. We train as we've been trained. We train as we've been trained. And perhaps you have had no biblical training, no religious training, no spiritual training in your entire life. And so you sit here and you think, well, this is just nonsense. I understand how you can feel that way. And unfortunately, that was the plight that you've been served. But you can change it. You can, you can establish with God, I want to do things differently from this day forward. You know, in every, in any time you repent of your sins, he always gives you the grace to forgive. He always gives us second chances. He is really good about abolishing your past in order to reestablish you in a new future. He can do that with anybody at any given situation. If you humbly come before him and repent of what you've done or what you didn't know you were supposed to do, he'll take it from there. But see, this passage is, is, is not so much concerned about you or your past, your father who raised you. It says that we will not hide from them their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of his Lord, of the Lord. We'll talk about his power. We'll talk about the wonders that he has done in our lives. And we'll share those with the kids. So, you know, my kids may say, Dad, you know, you're a screw up. You got divorced. You're a pastor. You got divorced. You messed up our family life. And I would say, yeah, you're right. I did. And what I have then is an opportunity to teach them and to train them even further. I did mess up. And I went to God and I repented of my sin. And I asked for forgiveness and I got it. And God gave me a fresh start. And now I'm in the church again serving as a pastor. Because it's important for redemption to be the primary focus of my life. God redeemed me. He forgave me. And he will do the same in your life when you screw up. And I know there's coming a day when you will screw up too. Even in our defeats, we can teach and instruct our kids. Even in our stupid mistakes, we can still guide them back to the Father. So I, what I teach is I teach my kids just not so much in words, but by actions. Never give up on God. Never give up on God. Always trust in God. Always. He goes on to say he decreed statutes for Jacob and, and established the law in Israel because that law is also a very critical ingredient. We have to teach the law of, of God to our children. The Sabbath day is to be kept holy. The Holy Scripture should never be disrespectful. You don't throw your Bible across the room. You don't stand on it so you can reach the light bulbs. You don't let it collect dust, and you, you certainly don't... Uh, you know, color in it and disrespect it. I mean, yeah, I write in my Bible all the time. I was raised never writing your Bible, but I do. Sorry, Mom. But, but it's, it's purposeful. But we're also taught, you know, you don't run through church. You don't stand on the pews and jump over them. You don't throw the, the offering plates like Frisbees. You don't take communion in an unworthy manner. You, you, there's things you do to honor God, and we teach these things to our kids because it's important. The law is always important. 
And it says that which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know those laws. And then those, that generation will raise their kids to know the laws and then their kids will be respectful and trustworthy. You see, this, this domino effect is very real. If you teach them badly, it will be transferred badly. You know, there is a thing called generational sin. You know, my, my grandfather, uh, he did some stupid stuff. I've got a whole bunch of family members that were alcoholics. Um, I would put my father up there with them. And so was it a, a, a secret that I would become a, a heavily addicted to the sauce? Of course not, because it's been passed down. It's been taught to us. That's what we know. But my dad also taught me about redemption. And he taught me about being the head of the household in a spiritual sense. The last phrase here, it says, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And this really is what it all is about. I want my kids to put their trust in God. Why is that important? Because I'm not always going to be here. I'm not always going to be this lean, mean preaching machine that has complete and total clarity of mind. I'm not going to be always this passionate, loving father who is so patient with my kids and so willing to, to, you know, support their needs. I want them to always put their trust in God. I always want them to put their trust in God, not in me. You see, it's an abuse, and it's exasperating to teach my kids to put their faith in me as their sole provider. I got some other verses for you. In Colossians 3, 18 through 21, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Remember, we're talking about that order. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. It's all about order. Children, obey your parents in everything, even when they say, clean your bedroom. Do your laundry. Get your laundry out of the laundry room. Fold it. Don't wad it up and leave it on the floor or in a laundry basket. Obey your parents in everything. Yes, even cut the grass if they say cut the grass and there's snow on the ground. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Do not make them bitter, or they will become discouraged. Embittered is a Greek word, erazetheta, which also has the almost identical uh, uh, root ending as the word from the Hebrew. And it means to excite them, to provoke them, to rouse them, or to irritate them. So again, you know, there's going to be times we're going to provoke children because we're going to tell them to do stuff they don't want to do. Sometimes they're going to be irritated with us because we ask them at a time they don't want to do it. After this game, please. And how long is that game? Well, at least an hour, you know. But it's all about order and purpose. We're supposed to train them, instruct them, and steward them. Now, as a side note, a lot of times people will say when it comes to discipline that we shouldn't do that. Remember what the world teaches. Don't ever discipline a child because you will squelch their attitude, the squelch their behavior or their character. You can't do that. That's ungodly. They will say, don't you ever spank a child because that will squelch their behavior or their development. But remember, it's the world who's teaching 
us how to raise kids in a way that honors God. That don't happen. We have to follow God's principles and his instruction. And here's what he says in Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his child. My kids will tell you my, their dad never hated their, chi- their, their children. Does dad hate you? No. He never spared the rod on you until you got to a certain age, and then he does it out of respect. But I can still do it. <laughs> It says, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And where sometimes you got to think it through. If I do this, what are the ramifications? What are the negative effects that could happen? What would God want me to do? In, in Proverbs 29, 15 and 17, it says, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. Is he not one of the brightest kids at the school? You can thank the rod. <laughs> but a child left to herself disgraces or himself, disgraces his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul if you discipline him. Hebrews twelve eleven. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews twelve eleven. Another thing, just for clarity, because some people question this. If, you're, if God did not want you to spank the bottom of your children, he wouldn't have given them such a big fluffy butt to do it on, <laughs> right? I promise you, those bottoms can absorb a spanking, and they will be fine. It will not squelch their behavior. It will give them and teach them respect. So physical discipline sometimes is necessary, But the goal, the ultimate goal, is to teach them the ways of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, I've told you this one many times, but this is one that needs to keep being spoken because you need to keep hearing it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. And bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. By the way, when it says to bind them on your foreheads, it basically is not being literally write them on your forehead. It's basically saying don't be afraid to pronounce your allegiance to God. Don't be afraid to wear it as a badge of honor upon your body that you are a child of God and committed to his precepts. Understand that when the Antichrist comes, that he's going to want the mark of the beast to be imprinted upon the heads of his followers, and it will be upon their foreheads. Interesting. In Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your necks, which also could be used to choke you, if not. Anyway, that's a different sermon. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6, which we've all heard before, probably train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, but that Hebrew word can be translated mature. When he is mature, he will not turn from it. Many of you have raised your kids in church and now you're just sitting back waiting and waiting and waiting. Remember, maturity doesn't come with chronological age. It comes with maturity. Eventually, your child will wake up and say, oh, maybe I might need some help on this one. The conclusion is this, and there's two passages for your conclusion. 
One is this, sons are a heritage from Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The more arrows, the better, right? The more arrows, the more stress, the less hair. Blessed the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Oh, that, by the way, was Psalm 127, 3 through 5. This is Proverbs 3, 1 through 11. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you to prosperity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So this is a lot of information. This is a lot of stuff, probably a lot of stuff that um, steps on your toes. Just remember, I didn't write the book. This was God's format. This is the way he wants order in the family. And you can see by just going to Walmart how far from that we have become as a nation. Our kids have become snowflakes. You tell them something, they get their feelings hurt. They shut down. All they want is praise. That's why they give out 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and 20th place trophies these days. That's why a lot of athletic events, they don't even keep score. Because on our field, everybody's a winner. You know, this is the, what the world is teaching. This is the way they want us to go. You know, it's not a bad thing for our children to learn heartache. It's not a bad thing for them to learn uh, what it feels like when their football team gets beat by the Minnesota Vikings. Um, believe me, I've had years of practice. My team has lost huge amounts. It's not a bad thing for, for a child to... to not be able to um, put food on the table for a, for a season and to struggle to, to work hard to provide for their family. It's not, it's not a bad thing for a child to go to college and, and struggle to get their grades up or fear of losing their scholarship. Uh, it's not bad for a teenager to get pulled over because they ran a stop sign or drove too fast. They need to learn those things because uh, this is a crazy world. But anyway, I just want to encourage you for home improvement purposes, love your kids, train them, instruct them, be patient with them, do your absolute best. That's God. All, that's all God ever expects of any of us. Just do your best and everything else will fall into place. Let's pray. Father, it is a day of grace that we come and we just acknowledge you and ask you for help. I pray that you'll forgive us where we have sinned, forgive us where we've made mistakes, but you will redeem us into something different, something new, something fresh. I pray that you will bless our children, Lord, and our families. This is all about improving our relationships. I pray that you will help us, Lord, in all that we do and say to encourage our kids, to teach them the ways of God. And to just love them, Lord, in a way that you've taught us to. This is all for your purpose because these kids belong to you. We pray this out of complete and total humility.
because a lot of times we don't know what we're doing. But in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and sing our closing.
Awesome. Good job. All right. Let's pray. Okay. Father, we uh, thank you for loving us, for your presence here among us, and we pray that you'll continue the, the tweaking of our lives, the pruning of our hearts, so that we can become the people you called us to be and hope that we would be. Uh, forgive our sins, Lord, but help us to go out from this place with excitement, knowing we get a fresh start, also that we can please you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You all stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm.